best thing to do is prepare, make sure you're hydrated throughout the day, start the day with some protein. 20 grams is a good number to sort of reach for. And there are many ways to get that from a variety of food, taking a few deep breaths before entering the space where the event is happening or the dinner and really reminding yourself of that love that's always there, what your vision for yourself is so that then you can enter the space and be more grounded and be available to have a good time with people, but not be focused on the food. I don't like to argue, so I say nothing and fume for days. How do I set boundaries without sounding like a jerk? I hate the idea that I might accidentally offend somebody, so sometimes I'd just rather say nothing at all. Welcome to the Language Alchemy Podcast, and thank you for joining me today. This is your host, Alejandra Siroca, a transformative communication teacher and coach who's devoted to helping multicultural individuals and couples on the path of transformation transform their lives and relationships through conscious communication. Thank you so much for being here today in your weekly transformative communication podcast workshop, where you get to reflect on your communication, explore tools to thrive in your life and relationships, and learn communication tips you can put into practice right away. And something that you'll need to do pretty soon, if you haven't already, is to be able to talk about food. Why? Because this is the time of year when we get together with family, with friends, with coworkers to celebrate the end of year festivities. And in these gatherings, food plays an important role. So for today's episode, I am interviewing my dear friend, Thais Harris. Thais is a board-certified holistic nutritionist who helps women love themselves into their ideal body, vibrant health, and an outstanding life. She helps her clients prioritize their well-being while ensuring family and career needs are met. Thais cultivates self-love as the guiding principle in making dietary and lifestyle changes to rediscover radiant health, transforming the relationship with her body, mind, and food. After working for five years with cancer patients at Ceres Community Project and a decade in private practice at Nourish Together, Thais finds that the biggest results come from a place of love and respect towards oneself rather than punishment, deprivation, shoulds, or don'ts. Thais is also an author of the children's book, Little Red, and she also wrote a chapter of the life-changing power of self-love that just came out of the press. Thais, welcome to the Language Alchemy podcast. Thank you so much, Alejandra. It is such an honor to be here with you having this conversation. And I'm just so proud of all the work that you've done. And I'm in awe of how much you share and how generous you are with all this wisdom. Thank you. Mm, thank you so much. And uh, you can probably hear this. Thais's love for me and my love for her. We have been close friends, soul sisters for many years, over a decade for sure, but I think maybe yeah. like 16 years or something like that. Yeah. So we have seen each other grow. 
I know a lot about Thais and I want to ask her lots of questions so that you get to know her and you get to see all the beautiful gifts she has to offer when we're talking about food and nutrition. Something that I've said when I introduced you, Thais, is that you are a holistic nutritionist. Many people have heard the word nutritionist, or maybe they know a dietitian. But what's different about a holistic nutritionist? What does that mean? Oh, it's such a great question, because as the word holistic might indicate, it's a lot about looking at the wholeness of something. So for me, it's really about the interconnectedness of body and mind, and even soul or spirit. And so what I've been focusing on, especially in the last few years, is really this interconnection, self-love being such a strong foundation for guiding any changes that somebody might make in their lifestyle or their diet pattern. And it's all related to this interconnectedness because I find that you can eat all the, say, right things. And this is quotes here, right? Because that changes for everybody. But that if we're not working on things like stress reduction and cultivating some joyful movement and working on our relationships, which is why I think your work is so powerful and so important with this communication and also noticing how we're talking to ourselves, then eating just those right foods is not going to do much to really advance us in really improving our lives and improving our relationships and improving everything. And so um, that's what holistic means. And my training is really about optimizing the body's innate capacities, healing abilities, to promote wellness, to prevent disease. And so unlike uh, a dietitian that might be working at hospitals and really being very specific about foods for certain conditions or to work with certain medications, right? Different things that somebody with that degree is going to be able to do. I am more working with people before they reach that place where they're already in the hospital. And that said, I did work for a serious community projects. So I was the nutrition manager there and creating meal plans, working on education with all of our clients who were mostly going through cancer treatment at the time that I worked there. And so there was definitely this piece of helping people through a condition, but doing a lot of that work with this holistic view and not just focusing so much on the nutrients themselves. I have training in functional nutrition and functional is also a word that a lot of people have heard now, but maybe it's not as clear about how does that work. And it's this notion of really looking at root causes so that if somebody's experiencing a lot of stomach pain, we're not just going to look in the stomach. We're going to look at everything that's happening in that person's life. And we might use a lot of testing so food sensitivities, metabolic testing, hormone testing. If I look into DNA and I use a functional reporting system that will look at DNA and help me just identify what some predispositions might be so that we can boost nutrients and we can boost the things that are going to give people the most results. 
So it's a, it's a long explanation for that holistic word. <laughs> it's such an integrated approach in which what I'm hearing is that you're really looking at the whole human being, not just the, the food or certain nutrients that they're having or not having. And one of the things that we human beings bring when it comes to food is our cultural traditions and our cultural habits. You grew up in Brazil. I grew up in Argentina. We both live in the United States and we have both changed the way we eat, the way we nourish ourselves, not only through foods and also other activities. I'm wondering with your clients, when they come to you and they're making changes, how do you talk to them about communicating with others about food, especially if, you know, at the end of the year, we gather with people, there are these traditional dishes, depending on the culture. And when I'm talking about culture, for those listeners who may be new to the podcast, when I talk about culture, I'm talking about the various layers of culture. Family is a layer of culture. And so we have these traditional dishes, these rituals that we use at certain times of the year, right? Some people it's birthday and they always have cake. Some people it's a celebration at the end of the year. Like in my family, New Year's Eve, we always had walnuts. So how do you talk to your clients when they're making changes to communicate with their families and let them know, I made these changes. Can you Mm -hmm. please support me? Can I still belong? to this wonderful group of people that is my family? It's a very interesting topic because even without thinking about the larger family context, which we'll get into, sometimes it becomes really important to communicate that to a partner so or the people that live in your household. So I have clients that may have you know, a spouse and a couple of kids. Some of them might be in their teen years, for example. And so that conversation takes place almost daily as far as allowing people to understand like this is what's really going to support my health right now. I have committed to this vision of health for myself and these are some of the changes that I need to make and so I want to ask for your support and understanding as I go through them. And that's like first layer. Some of my clients will actually bring their spouses on sessions with me so that they hearing from somebody else what's happening and why these changes will benefit this person. They love that person. They want what's best for them. So I think the clear communication piece of like, this is what I'm committing to. This is what I need for my health. And this is what I'm going to do. And some people might even say, I'm going to do this for two months and see what happens. So it doesn't mean it's forever. That can help kind of take the pressure off a little bit too. When we go into that larger context with family, especially when there's a cultural piece And, you know, I live in Massachusetts currently, and I work with people from other countries, 
that are here in Massachusetts. And there's often this notion of like going to a specialty stores, you know, whether it's maybe somebody from Brazil where there's certain stores that have the Brazilian items that they might find, or they adjust those items that they would get in Brazil to things that are a little more processed here. And all of a sudden they're not feeling good. So people sometimes have to look at their own sort of inherited food preferences and then just really notice, oh, is this food helping me feel well? Or do I feel tired, moody, I'm short with people, have pain, my skin is breaking out? There's all these different ways that we can identify, oh, the food I'm eating is actually not allowing me to live my best life. And then we look at those and we see like, what's the natural evolution from that particular food to the next thing that's going to be health supportive. So now bringing it back to the family, it really depends on each individual and the relationship they have with their families. For some people, they're able to say, oh, I'm just doing something different right now. And it it can end the conversation there. If they want to have a deeper conversation with their family because they know they're going to be heard and they're not concerned with people attacking certain choices or sometimes even making fun of them. Like I've gone to Brazil and have said no to certain foods and then was made fun of like, oh, now she's an American and it's okay. I knew like there's a lot of love there. I didn't have to take it personally. But it, that's why I say it really depends on the individual, because when you know your family, you can decide if you want to go deeper and have that conversation as you would have with your partner and your kids to say, I'm working with a holistic nutritionist and I'm doing this particular plan because I discovered I have these food sensitivities and this is going on. And so I'm going to try this out for a couple of months so that I can feel better. And usually that's enough for people to go, wow, amazing, yeah. But if their family environment is not usually that way, then they can say, for example, if somebody is not drinking alcohol and they're offered a drink, and just say, oh, not right now, thanks. And that, it just, there's no hook there for anybody to go, what, you're not going to drink now? Or sometimes people can take it personally against them like, oh, Are you saying there's something wrong with drinking? Well, I drink and there's nothing wrong with that. And, you know, so there's, depending on your family dynamics, you will know how to communicate that in a way that either, you know, removes the hook. So you just say, oh, not right now. Oh, maybe a little bit later. And you keep drinking your water and then the night comes and goes and it's done and you don't have to engage or you choose to speak about what, why I'm doing this. And in a way that's very personal to you so that nobody needs to feel defensive or feel like they're doing something wrong. What I'm hearing, Thais, is really you need to know your family. You need to know your family dynamics and you need to connect to your intention as to what is it that you are going to share and why you're going to share that. And some training wheels could be not now, thank you, when you are in that sort of like gray area that you don't know how to talk about this, how deep to go with them, and what kind of response or reaction you're going to get. Yes. I 
actually have an anecdote I'd like to share with you. You may know about this. When I came to the United States, after I started practicing and learning yoga and yoga philosophy, I completely changed the way I feed myself and became a vegetarian. I stopped eating meat. Now, I come from Argentina, the land of meat where... I I had so much meat in my life, pretty much lunch and dinner seven days a week. So going back to Argentina to visit my family, at first, I was really nervous about letting them know I don't eat meat because meat is such an important symbol of our Argentinian culture and especially my family. And Secondly, so what I would do first, I didn't say anything. I would just not touch it. And then I would get a lot of like, oh, you're not eating the food. We don't want it to go to waste and things like that. So that was like the first few years. We're talking about like the years 2000, 2001. And then I started using kind of like those training wheels. Oh, you know, I just feel like eating this instead of that and things like that. And then, of course, I got married to my beloved, Matthew, who was vegan for many years. And when he and I were together, we were vegan and vegetarian. And when he went to Argentina for the first time, my parents, through a big party after we got married, invited all our cousins. There were, I don't know, like 50 people in my house. And my dad puts his arm around Matthew and says, Here, everybody, this is my new beloved son. His name is Matthew, and he doesn't eat meat. (laughs) (laughs) And so the whole evening, his introduction to my family and all my cousins were like, what? You you don't eat meat? Is there a medical reason? Is it religious? Uh, What's going on here? Like, why don't you eat meat? And it was this very awkward thing that neither of us anticipated. Fast forward, because I have learned to communicate differently when I go to Argentina. My family, before I go, they usually ask me, hey, we're going to make this particular dish. What can we make for you? And my nephews, my nieces have gotten very used to making these very traditional Argentinian barbecues and throwing in their some beautiful vegetables that they barbecue for us. Mm -hmm. And we have found a way to belong, to share what's nutritious for everybody without making fun of each other. But I've had that experience of being made fun of for sure for years. And it's so beautiful that you share that and how knowing you and Matthew, I know you took it really well when that was, you know, announced. He doesn't eat meat. But for some people, that could be deeply triggering, too, to be put on the spot like that for a choice, right? And that's why I say, like, knowing your family. And a step before that is actually what you said about connecting with your intention, you know, of what you want to share and not share. And I'm going to bring up that self-love connection again. I feel like There's so much to be said about that, because if you are connected to self-love, and so at the beginning of my sessions, we do a little guided breathing to really connect, you know, with our bodies and with all the inner workings of our bodies and our healing potential, and then to actually visualize what our vision of health looks like. Because, and the reason I say, you know, I help women love themselves into their ideal body 
it is not a thin body. It is not a tall body. There's no common trait that any one person is going to have with another. What personally for them is ideal is that body that can hold them where they can do all the things they love and really be present in their lives, right? And so we do this work of really connecting with what that is and that every choice and every change that we might make in our daily life and the way we eat or the practices that we are doing, that those are guided by that love. And so when we come to the dinner table with our family and we're connected to that self-love, then it's much easier to answer to any questions that might arise without shaming other people or making them feel defensive. And I feel like that's really key. So in the same way that maybe when your dad said, you know, he doesn't eat meat, knowing Matthew, if he was grounded in himself, he could be there and then talk to people about it without feeling like he was doing anything wrong or losing a sense of belonging. So again, if we are settled into that space of connection and love and like, I'm doing this because I love myself, takes the pressure off from needing to change what anybody else is doing, right? And we're all so individual. And when I'm looking at labs and, you know, DNA reports and all this, it's like, it's so clear what works for one person doesn't work for the next and so sometimes even working with couples when two people have very different needs, right, can be tricky. So you bring in a whole family and it's going to be very different. So I think disarming that, that like what I do, I think this is the right thing and everybody should do it. If we can remove that piece and just focus on that, oh, this is what's really going to help me feel my best right now. Yeah, thank you. I wish I had you back in 2000 or 1999 when I made all these changes going back to Argentina. And, you know, yes, Matthew took it in a very positive way. He had a blast. And at the same time, 18 years later, he still shares that anecdote with people. So it was Mm -hmm. something significant for sure. And I'm wondering. For people who have not done this work of the self-love or really even considering going into a gathering where people are going to eat something different or things that they no longer eat or they're, they're trying to avoid for the moment, it may be gluten, it may be meats, it may be a certain product, it may be sweets, it may mm-hmm. be certain sugars, uh, sodas, alcohol, or, or something else. How can people who have changed their diets or who are making a change prepare themselves before they go to an event where they will encounter food that they no longer eat? Mm. And preparation here is the key word. I find that just in the way we don't really want to go shopping when we're hungry because we might make some less than ideal choices when we're really hungry, you know, going through the aisles. We don't want to go to a party or an event hungry, especially some of us might skip a meal already anticipating, you know, it's like at Thanksgiving, people tend to have a really big meal. And some of us might choose to skip lunch because, oh, it's going to be a big meal. But what happens is then by the time that meal arrives, 
we can be so hungry that we're not thinking and we're not connecting to that deeper space within us that is about making choices that are really supportive. So in order to avoid that, eating a protein-rich snack, and when I say protein-rich, of course, it can be from vegetarian sources. I actually, for our podcast listeners here, there will be a guide for enjoying the holidays. And it talks a little bit about what what I mean about having a protein-rich snack and even starting the day with enough protein. Because something happens if we start the day with refined carbs, and that's the first thing we put in, we set a certain roller coaster in motion to need to get more carbs throughout the day. And we might end up craving sweet foods or carby foods. And so again, when we're in a context of a party, but you were to arrive at a party really hungry and you might be in that sort of carby roller coaster, it might be the thing that you go for, even knowing like, okay, I'm going to pay for this tomorrow, but right now I'm really hungry. So best thing to do is prepare, make sure you're hydrated throughout the day. Start the day with some protein. 20 grams is a good number to sort of reach for. And there are many ways to get that from a variety of food. Taking a few deep breaths before entering the space where the event is happening or the dinner. And really reminding yourself of that love that's always there. What your vision for yourself is. So that then you can enter the space and be more grounded and be available to have a good time with people but not be focused on the food because you've had a base. And then within the foods that are there, then you can make some choices of what are the things in here that will support my well-being. In our house, we really abide by the 80-20 rule, where 80% of the time you're very mindful of what you put in, You're hopefully cooking most of your meals. And because when we eat out, we don't know what oils are being used. You know, there's a lot of variables. So when we can spend most of our time really investing in good quality food and cooking for ourselves and our loved ones, trusting there there will be 20% of the time that maybe we go to a friend's house and there may be some ingredients or oils and something they prepared that we wouldn't necessarily choose but that we can literally look at that meal and think this will nourish me because at that moment, it is about the social connection. It is about all of the other things that make up, you know, a a healthy, happy life. And that because we are supporting our body so strongly, the other 80% of the time, trusting that we'll be able to digest and process whatever's coming our way. You bring up a really good point, Thais, because it's also, let's acknowledge it, a matter of privilege to have access to good, healthy, nutritious food. And Mm -hmm. not everybody in our families, not everybody that we gather with at the end of the year have the same privilege, the same access to nutritious food. So Mm -hmm. sometimes we are going to go to different events where people are going to bring their offerings from their hearts things that they have prepared with so much love that may not have the quality of ingredients that people with privilege have access to. And that could be as nutritious as something that for others need to be organic or come from a particular source and be able to enjoy that. So thank you so much for bringing that up. Yeah. And I think that reminder of 
even taking a deep breath before eating, I think connecting with gratitude is so important, especially before meals. I feel like we have at least, well, I'll say most of us eat three meals a day. And so we have three opportunities each day to connect to gratitude. And what it does, it's one of the fastest ways to take our body from a fight or flight from being in stress response, you know, whether we're busy or in traffic or all the different modern world things that we do in our daily lives that can put us, get us stuck into our sympathetic mode, which is that fight or flight. And when we eat, we really want to switch into rest and digest so that we can properly digest food because when we're in fight or flight, we're not sending blood flow, we're not sending energy to digestion because digestion is not that important when you're running away from danger, right? And so uh, that's how the body kind of figures out how to ration its energy and its building blocks for certain things. And so gratitude, and this has been shown in many a study, that is the quickest way to help the body get into that rest and digest mode, into the parasympathetic mode. So when we connect with that and we can take a breath and even say to ourselves, this will nourish me, it sets a whole different tone for the body versus being stressed like, oh my God, I don't eat this or this has this or, you know, like that, that would just continue to activate our stress response. And then we might not feel well after eating it. But if we can do the opposite and just really relax into it and accept that food as love, then it's a whole different world. And it's interesting when you brought up the culture, the first thing I think of is that movie Lion. Do you remember that movie about the this um, Indian boy? Australian woman mm-hmm, who adopts someone from India, a child from India. And one of his only memories of his family, what comes back to him after many, many years, you know, of living in a different culture and I think not knowing really who he was the the moment that something connected was through food because food mm-hmm. holds this space that's so intertwined with our identity and with love you know some of us like our parents might have given us special treats and certain foods as a way to show love and so that's another thing to just be aware of when we're with our families of say saying like oh i don't need sugar like oh that's wrong if we do it like that, that for somebody might mean something so much deeper than just food, right? That it could be a problem. It could create some friction. What I'm hearing from you is kind of like not judging others for what they are eating and also not being an evangelist of like, oh, because I eat this way, now you have to eat that way. If we go to the other side of the of the equation, if you will, and we have people here listening from all over the world, and if they are hosting something in which they are preparing this beautiful, traditional, ritualistic meal that has recipes that have been passed down from generations that honor our ancestors, our grandparents, and then we know, or we're not sure, if some members of the family 
are still consuming these items. Mm -hmm. How do we make space for them without judging them that, oh, because you don't eat grandma's recipe anymore, you can't belong to this family. After I've spent three days trying to cook this beautiful Mm -hmm. feast for all of us. What suggestions do you have for people who are hosting or who are honoring their tradition and they can feel nourished and satisfied and a sense of well-being when they consume those foods and make room for others who no longer consume those foods? Mm. I feel like it comes back to that basic of understanding we're all very bio-individual and each person working on themselves, you know, there's the vision of health model, but beyond that, this notion that everyone is free to choose and everyone needs to meet their needs in different ways. And so when we're hosting, it can be really hard to try and accommodate everyone. So I think to be very clear about, here's what I'm making. This is why this is important, but I invite you to bring something that will nourish you if you don't eat any of these ingredients or some of these ingredients, Mm. right? I think opening that that up for people to then bring, because I think as a host, and I just hosted my son's uh, birthday party, and I knew some people were gluten-free, some people were dairy-free, some people were both, and there was somebody who did no chocolate and somebody who was vegan. Because of the work I do, I was able to make sure there was something for everyone. And so most people I know would have been very overwhelmed by that. And I I was even overwhelmed by that, right? But this is, I do this. And so for me, spending two days in the kitchen preparing certain various things was easy. I also had moments of getting hummus from the store that was like, oh, I was going to make fresh hummus. And then I realized, no, I don't need to do that. I'm going to buy this awesome hummus and I'm going to buy some guacamole and I'm going to have these choices. The great thing about that is like chips for guac, you know, they tend to be dairy-free, gluten-free, <laughs> vegan. So I was hitting a few things. So it's like maximizing some of your offerings that can be very food sensitivity or food allergy friendly. And then allowing or inviting people to bring what will nourish them. What a beautiful idea to invite people to bring and to say, this is what I'm going to cook. And if there's anything else you eat, please bring it. It's welcome here. What a beautiful way of, of honoring that. I was just thinking that Perhaps a lot of people who have changed their diets are more mindful of, oh, there are different people who eat differently and people who haven't changed their diets and they're continuing with their traditional foods. They're not so much thinking about food. There's that connection that they have to their ancestors, to their cultures, and they're they're continuing with that. So I think something that we can all benefit from is how we invite others to gatherings that we're having and being able to communicate in advance that we are making certain dishes. And maybe even if we are aware of, say, this is gluten-free or this has no sugar or I will only have alcohol or I will not have alcohol. And if you drink it, maybe 
bring your own or something like that. In fact, I got invited to a birthday party this past weekend where someone communicated that to me. Um, not We're not going to have alcohol unless you would like to bring a bottle of wine and you're most welcome. And one of the many things I noticed living in the United States and going into different gatherings with people who come from different cultures in the United States, it's very common to have a potluck. And mm-hmm. for people who are all over the world and may not know what that is, is when everybody brings some kind of dish to contribute to the feast that we're all going to enjoy together. And as someone who has attended many potlucks and also hosted many potlucks, I have become used to saying, this is the dish I'm bringing, and then describing it in terms of nutritional categories, whether it has gluten, it has meat, it doesn't have meat, it's uh-huh. vegetarian, it's paleo, etc. Uh-huh. And what I've noticed is that then when people share what they are going to bring, they also note what their food is. Many times people have asked me, what do you eat when they invited me, let's say, to their home for dinner? Mm. And what I have done is instead of saying what I don't eat is to say what I do eat. Mm -hmm. And then that I feel like that gives people more of like a white canvas of, oh, all the options and all the possibilities of things that I can make for you instead of saying, well... Matthew is allergic to wheat and we don't eat meat. And instead of that saying we eat all kinds of vegetables, we eat all kinds of nuts, we eat fish occasionally, we eat dairy products. And that gives people an idea. What do you think about that? You know, I love that so much, Alejandra, because this speaks to your lifetime of work and communication and and deep understanding of psychology because you are opening up the conversation instead of closing it. And I think when you say just what I don't eat, it's very limiting and people feel like, what will I do? And as you say that, I believe when this is airing, I'll be just finishing or have just finished my group reset program, which is a program I offer twice a year in spring and fall which is a very gentle cleanse. It's literally a chance for the body to reset. And we remove the seven top trigger foods so that we can help our liver detoxify and we can help just kind of clear the mind, clear the skin, feel more energized, have really good digestion and bowel movements. So during this reset, it would be, very easy to just focus on what people cannot have, you know, like you will not have dairy, gluten, peanuts, alcohol, sugar, etc. And I feel like most people would feel very scared about that process, especially if their meals are often comprised of one or many of those ingredients. Instead, we focus on what we're going to add and all the boosters and antioxidant rich foods. And I'm always leading with Look at all that we can eat. And here are these options of meal plans that are just going to make life easier. And for a week, you don't have to think about it. Here's all the food you can have. And it's amazing how it changes. People actually start feeling excited about that process. So when you do that with your friends and somebody asks you, oh, uh, what don't you eat? You know, or what are you allergic to? Or what shouldn't I make? I think it's wonderful that you turn that into 
here's what I eat. I eat all of these things because now you're giving people options and they can work with that. Mm, thank you. And food is communication. You know, it's very interesting. One of my teachers used to say, everything you eat is talking to your genes. And I love that because when you think about it, when we eat, it is the most intimate relationship we have with the outer world. We're taking things that are out, out there outside of us and we're putting them in our mouths and hopefully we're chewing them slowly. That's another trick, by the way, or tip holidays or not, everyday life, but really taking our time to chew and chew thoroughly, that alone reduces digestive discomfort by something like 80. But we chew, we let our bodies know that food is coming, our saliva starts digesting some of the carbs in the food, we're sending all these messages to the pancreas, to the liver, to the intestines. I mean, there's so much that starts happening. And then we break that, that piece of the outer world, we break that down, especially when we have really good digestion, we then assimilate it and build every cell in our bodies from it. So it's like this very intimate connection that we have when we eat. And it is a conversation with our bodies. And if we can listen well enough, we can really hear the messages of like, oh, this really agrees with me versus something that's like really, you know, harming us or just not allowing us to feel great. And so when we can identify those and we make changes based on that love and that wish to live a full life, then we don't have to make anybody else wrong. We can really stick to, oh, I'm, I'm only going to eat these items. I know what's going to really nourish me. And to be able to then have some of it and say, wow, this is really amazing. It just can be wonderful when we're coming in from that space. Mm, thank you so much, Thais. I hope you can all hear what a wealth of integrated, holistic information Thais is. And she is going to offer all of you completely free three mindset shifts to love yourself into better health. You can go to selflove.nourishtogether.com to get her guide. Do you want to tell us about that guide? And it has a little bonus you were telling me before. Do you want to tell us about it? Yes. And these are the three shifts to just connect to that place in ourselves, right? Where we are cultivating the self-love. Self-love might seem obvious for some, like, of course I love myself, but it's like, how are we showing that every day in the way that sometimes it's easier to show love to our loved ones or partners or kids, but how are we doing that for ourselves? And so, so these three mindset shifts are just three little things that we can do, all of us, it's free, we can do it anywhere at any moment to get in touch with that. And for everybody that downloads that guide, you will automatically also get a six tips to enjoy the holiday. So a lot of what we talked about today will be in there, along with some other very simple steps to like, even if you want to enjoy alcohol, how to do it in a safe way, that's not going to make you cranky and tired the next day. So ah, beautiful. It's going to be so useful for everyone, myself included. And if you would like to find out more about Thais, get her awesome recipes 
and perhaps work with her, you can check out her website at nourishtogether.com. She's also on Instagram and Facebook, also at Nourish Together. I'm going to add all those links in the show notes. Well, Thais, what a rich, delicious conversation we've had. (laughs) Thank you so much. It was such a treat for me. (laughs) And, uh, you know, whenever we talk, which is often and sometimes not often enough, we usually say, oh, like we could talk to one another forever. (laughs) There's so much to talk about. But I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for the work that you do in the world for saying yes to this invitation and for helping all the Language Alchemy podcast listeners enjoy their holidays and love themselves into better health. So thank you so much. It's my pleasure, my honor. And thank you so much, Alejandra. Thank you. And thank you so much for listening. Until next week, and as we say in Argentina... Ciao, ciao. Original music by Gary Lapo. You can find all links in the show notes at languagealchemy.com. <laughs>